This week on the Totally Biased Media Podcast, we talk Godzilla vs. Kong, discuss some new, cooler crossovers, I talk about how much I love Disco Elysium again, and more. Welcome to TBM. I'm Jackson Walkup, and I am on Team Kong. I'm Jason Simmons, and I'm on Team Jacob. I'm Jordan Walkup, and I'm coming out of my cage, and I've been doing just fine. Godzilla. King Kong. They're back and raring to go. We're talking Godzilla vs. Kong. The new film, directed by Adam Wingard, from that god-awful live-action Death Note Netflix adaptation. Yeah, that guy. Good choice for the movie, right? We also got some big stars up in here, like Alexander Skarsgård, best known for being in Lady Gaga's paparazzi music video. Millie Bobby Brown, from one 2014 episode of NCIS. Rebecca Hall, from one 1994 episode of The World of Peter Rabbit and Friends and Brian Tyree Henry from a 2009 episode of Law and & Order. And Jackson's going to tell you exactly what Godzilla vs. Kong is. So, to get the Godzilla vs. Kong, you got to start back at the 2014 Godzilla movie, where uh, these creatures called Mudos, which I don't remember what they stand for, if one of you guys want to... Uh, good start, good start. Yeah, if, you, if one of you guys remember what that was, because... Since the first movie, they haven't been; those things have not been mentioned at all, so they don't I, matter. I think they're they're massive, unidentified terrestrial organisms. Sure, we'll go with that. Uh, anyways, so those things start; a few of them start popping up around the world, and then uh, you know they learn there's a bigger one. It's Godzilla, and he's gonna fight him. And you know what? He does. He wins. He saves the day, and he's sort of humanity's protector now. So then, that's the movie. Not really much more to talk about there for the importance of Kong versus Godzilla. So then you move on to Kong versus Skull Island, where we're introduced to Kong. He lives on an island that is somewhat shaped like a skull. Um, yeah, uh, that that's it. Then you got Godzilla, uh, King of the Monsters, where a bunch of monsters pop up. Godzilla's got to kill them all, again. And then we start with Kong, uh, Godzilla versus Kong. And Godzilla has recently attacked some... What was it he attacked? A base in southern Florida. In Florida. It was in Florida. So yeah, yeah he so. attacks a laboratory in northwestern Florida for reasons that I'm not getting into now. And so the humans decide they got to get Kong to fight him. And that's how the movie starts. So basically, we got Godzilla, who up till this point has been looked at as humanity's protector. But oh no, he's attacking people again. You know who's better to face a giant lizard that can breathe radioactivity? Monkey? A big monkey. He's he big. He, he big. big. He monkey. Are we going to say the thing? <laughs> <laughs> no. 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> now I know what you're thinking. Godzilla versus Kong. It's just going to be two monsters fighting each other, and that's awesome. That's what we all came here to see. Unfortunately, they got Adam Wingard on this movie. (laughs) 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 While the cast is great, and the CGI is great, and the monster fights are great. There are a lot of greats in this movie. Unfortunately, the movie is hampered by some real bad writing. Quite possibly... You know what? Let me change that. Definitely the worst writing of all three or all four of the Godzilla and Kong movies. Oh yeah, it was it was awful. <laughs> Oof. You know what? I honestly got to say I enjoyed the movie. But the writing is so bad. There's so many characters that just feel like complete <laughs> waste of time. Uh everything that happens in the movie is really you know what, I want to say it's just to get you to the next monster fight. And I wish that were the case. There's not even many of those. There's like Unnecessary what, garbage in this movie that just kind of completely hampers like the awesome monster fights. They're some of the best fights in the series, I would say. I, I would definitely say I, I, I honestly liked the fights uh, in... The first Godzilla movie, when you could see them, <laughs> more than I liked the fights in the second Godzilla movie, even though you had much better views on those. Uh, the move, the fight, but I would say all the fights in this one are definitely big spectacles. Really fun to watch. I think that is by far the the movie's biggest strength is you like if you came looking for these cool scenes where King Kong punches Godzilla or Godzilla bites King Kong or whatever, they're there. They're just few and far between, which is wild for a movie called Godzilla versus Kong. I remember a big complaint with the original, well, not the original, but the, the 2014 Godzilla was that there was such a, a big focus on the humans. And in the second one, they were like, all right, let's tone this down. But, like, I thought the story in the second one, with the humans at least, was still fine. In this third one, <laughs> you have the same amount of focus on the humans as you kind of did in the second one. Maybe a little bit more focus on humans. But the story is just so hamstrung together. <laughs> and it makes no sense at yeah. any part. It also makes these weird jumps in logic where they... They create a situation, something that is an imminent threat to a ton of people, and then they resolve them in one of two ways. Either something incredibly stupid that doesn't fit the story at all, or just Godzilla and King Kong hit each other harder. And, like, it's it's just so weird. Like, there, there are definitely fun scenes in this movie, but it's just... It's not even that it's bad, it's stupid. Like, this is a stupid movie. (sighs) Once again, if you're here for the monster fights, can't recommend the movie enough. So good. (laughs) If you're here for a cohesive narrative or an interesting story even, go somewhere else, please. (laughs) Yeah. Jackson, what are your thoughts? I mean, like, I honestly could not tell you most of what was happening with the human story in that movie like it just none of it fits none of it is good i don't really know how else to describe it other than that (laughs) like let's frame it a little bit 
So you you have this power struggle between Godzilla and King Kong, which is the center of the movie, of course. But you also have sort of two separate narratives that are running completely parallel to each other and have very limited crossover for the humans that are familiar with these creatures. So Millie Bobby Brown's character from Godzilla King of Monsters is back and she sort of has a bond or a respect for Godzilla that a lot of other people don't have. And she sees that there is more to this than just Godzilla got mad started eating humans. Then on the other hand, you have a new character, uh, a young girl who is bonded with King Kong. Uh, she's from Skull Island. Um, she lost both of her parents and really looks up to this you know, giant creature as like a protector of her land. And they just want to, she wants to keep Godzilla safe and happy. And you have these two characters' stories running completely parallel to one another. But they both just make such massive leaps in logic. So, for example, the the storyline with Millie Bobby Brown's character, do not ask us the names of any characters in this movie. <laughs> the the plot with Millie Bobby Brown's character is, oh, there's more to this. Let's sneak into a military base, a thing we're not equipped to do and don't really have any experience doing, and then just all of a sudden they're there and sneaking into the military base with very limited preparation or... And almost no sort of repercussions for their actions. It's just, it's so weird. It's its almost like they only had half a movie and they were like, let's just run with it, see what happens. Their part of the story, uh, the part with Millie Bobby Brown's character, wasn't even really significant. Like They did very little. Yeah, they didn't do anything that benefited anyone else. And it's also hard to talk about that without sp- spoiling the movie. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think any of their actions actually affected the main plot. <laughs> it like, didn't. <laughs> they found things, but they didn't actually do anything. <laughs> yeah. Until the very end of the movie. And and one gag scene. <laughs> it's it's weird. And I think that like I said it was two parallel stories. You had this much better plot that was also happening or what could have been a much better plot <laughs> also happening with this small girl who can communicate with king kong in a way no one else can and even that's really rushed and jumps around and doesn't really show any build up and it's just i, I don't know what was happening yeah with this i movie. think i think a problem with this movie having that split narrative between the two different groups is not only do previous characters which i think the only previous character that was really in the spotlight was millie Bobby brown's character doesn't really have any more room to grow um, and the new characters don't have any room to shine. Which is a bummer because I think that the new characters had a lot more potential than this sort of hamstrung plot about a previous character's pseudo-relationship with a titan. It was just... It's hard to even talk about this movie without just being exasperated because I just genuinely don't understand so much of it. I'm still... I do have to say, I'm really confused... Because, uh, like like they said, the only main character that's returning from a previous movie is Millie Bobby Brown as Madison, I think. Yeah. Uh, and her, her dad is also in the movie a few times. 
in like really minor scenes that don't actually add anything to the story at all. For some reason, even though they made a really big deal about Serizawa in the previous two movies, for some reason Sally Hawkins' character, I think Vivian, is just not in this movie at all, even though she's supposed to be like the premier Godzilla expert at this point. <laughs> not even a cameo or anything. You know, in hindsight, I kind of feel like this movie might be sort of the epitome of the impact that COVID has had on entertainment in general, because it feels like it was written without a true plan in mind. It's rushed in that a lot of information isn't really explained or given the necessary amount of time. It's like they didn't even really know for sure what their casting availability was going to be like. So they had to write a lot of stuff happening in different locations with different actors and just hoping they could get it to line up correctly. Because if you notice, it's not just a lot of characters aren't back, which isn't unexpected. I would have been shocked if there was more than a few anyways. But also, there's very little overlap with more than two or three characters at a time. It's almost like they just couldn't get most of the cast in at the same time. So they had to record a scene with these two characters and then a scene with these three characters. And it's it's all over the place. Like I, I feel like if this movie were released in a different time with a better director, it could have been something great. And it's just not. Hey. The monkey fighting lizard parts are good, and I think that's all we really care about. I assure you, it is not. <laughs> I wish it was. I feel another major thing that we should definitely mention is that one of the main villains is uh, oh, yeah. Serizawa's son. <laughs> Who Serizawa, if you don't remember, is the, the major Godzilla expert in the previous two Godzilla movies. His son is one of the main villains in this movie. It's never mentioned. Yeah, no connection between those two characters whatsoever other than sharing a name. Well, no, they share a name. They are related, but they just don't mention the fact that they're related at all throughout the movie. There's also an antagonist character who is introduced, clearly set up as being an antagonist, isn't shown... At all throughout the movie, other than if Godzilla or King Kong attacks, they're like, whoa, as like a ship is rocking or a building's falling. They have basically no other interactions beside that. And then the first time that they have the opportunity to do something antagonistic, they are killed. They literally introduce a character, establish them as a protagonist, threw them in the background of a bunch of scenes, and then killed them with no plot development whatsoever. Like, that is just crazy to me. That's probably an editing thing. That character is probably going to be more important and just wasn't. But it's just wild it got that far. Yeah, I mean, he's... It's the main villain of this movie's daughter. Played by, I think it's Isa Gonzalez. She gets brought in. She's described as being, like, you know, kind of tough uh, and a major, a major player in Apex Cybernetics, which is the the bad guy industry in the movie. Uh, and then for the next, you know, however many scenes she's in, she's basically played for a comic relief character. And then at the end, she's like, actually, I'm not funny. I'm evil. <laughs> and then immediately gets killed. Yeah. It's wild. I don't know. 
I, I don't know why you would cut so much of a character that's supposed to be... I mean, this is the only villain in the movie that directly interacts with the main cast of characters. Don't even really know she's the villain. I mean, obviously you can tell she's going to be the villain because she's from the evil corporation. <laughs> but, like, they don't play her for a villain until the very end. She's just this completely useless character until she betrays them. But it's not like anybody liked her or trusted her or anything. Right. She just kind of comes off as a, a an oaf <laughs> for a while. <laughs> it, I don't know. It's just... There's so much about this movie that I just I just don't understand. And it's also like, I wasn't expecting this movie to be groundbreaking or to have some phenomenal level of writing that we just haven't seen before. But I was at least expecting it to make sense and set up the big fight scenes effectively. And it just, it doesn't even do that. <laughs> and they I, make I don't a know. point of, uh, you know, visiting the Hollow Earth which was referenced a little bit in King of the Monsters. You see them go to... They almost go to the Hollow Earth when they're, you know, following Godzilla in that movie. A, a major plot point is that Kong is supposed to be leading them to the Hollow Earth, and then they get there, and they just take a sightseeing tour, <laughs> and they find the MacGuffin, and then leave. There's no fighting in there. There's, like, only one major plot point happens there. It's literally just both the bad guys and the good guys get the MacGuffin at the same time, because there's enough to share. <laughs> and it's also, like... If them going to Hollow Earth was going to be important, that's that's fine. And they clearly, like, wanted it to be something because it's this beautifully designed CGI landscape. It has a really cool gravity effect. It has a lot of really cool creatures that are, that are built into it. But they're only there for, I don't know, like a tenth of the movie, if that. And it's just, it seemed like there was going to be so much more to that. And it just, there just wasn't. Honestly, having so little of the Hollow Earth is probably the biggest disappointment of the movie for me. Because I, re I really like that area. And then it just was barely there. There was also a weird mix of this very cyberpunk, futuristic, sci-fi aesthetic with what is otherwise a very, like, normal and practical depiction of the world that i i don't know i couldn't quite get my head wrapped around i i feel like it was probably supposed to be symbolic originally because it's the bad guys that mostly have that kind of cyberpunk aesthetic because i think it's supposed to be kind of the march of progress versus you know kong represents the freedom of nature hmm <laughs> mm. Look, I'm not a uh, you know a philosopher or anything but i i imagine <laughs> that's kind of what they were going for with it but they yeah. didn't really. I, I don't think that the what they were, whatever they were going for, didn't hit. <laughs> yeah, it just yeah. kind of seemed like this really weird mix uh, mismatch of different styles. Now I will say, one thing I am genuinely impressed with with this movie that I wasn't expecting to be. I had a very specific image in my head of Godzilla and King Kong were finally going to square off. It was going to be this epic fight scene, which would be interrupted by some third-party evil they would have to work together to stop. Basically saying we were never going to know which one of them would actually win, and that they weren't willing to actually make one of them superior, or one of them more the hero, or anything like that. But they don't do that. 
they do fair they do face off like their fight finishes out and one of them wins and I didn't care about which one that was, and I won't spoil that for you, but I was just so glad they were actually willing to let them fight it out and see which one was tougher. Because that is something that so many movies like this are scared to do. They don't want either side to lose because they know people are rooting for both sides. And they actually let one side lose in, like, a pretty good way. Yeah, this is not a Batman versus Superman situation where, you know one of them is winning or something and then they get interrupted the fight's over <laughs> yeah one of them is beaten down <laughs> um and it's a very cool probably five to seven minute fight scene leading up to it that i i really it was really into also the you get a couple of good fights this one takes place in a city final showdown in a city that's always the best part of one of these monster fight movies <laughs> And it looks great. Now, there's also a a plot point that I don't want to touch on at all because it is a tremendous spoiler in and of itself. I guess we could call it a plot twist, sort of. There is something implemented later in the movie that I just absolutely despised, even though I expected it from the very beginning. So that's also really hampering my views on this movie, but I also can't get into that. <laughs> Because I don't want to take that away from anyone that doesn't know it's coming. <laughs> yeah. This movie's just, it's a lot. And most of it isn't good. <laughs> so, Jackson, why don't you summarize your your views on the movie? So, uh, pros, monkey punch lizard. Lizard punch monkey. Uh, cons, writing story characters that's all pretty bad i'd i'd give it i'd give it a six out of ten i'll be honest i have a little bit probably harsher view on the movie i would (laughs) monkey fight good everything else bad well cgi is good and i do think that the actors did well with their roles uh but overall i would say the writing is so bad <laughs> that no matter how well the actors did with it it wasn't going to make it a good movie you know honestly the directing i thought a lot of the shots looked really nice they did really well about you know kind of framing some shots in really interesting ways that you don't see in a lot of movies or at least i didn't see a lot of in the previous two godzilla movies <laughs> uh so i mean as much crap as i want to give them i thought that for the most part adam wingard did fine uh i would say my major gripes are with the writers and <laughs> not not the director or anything like that uh but i'd say overall i'm gonna give it probably a four out of ten i wanted this movie to be an exaggerated version of what it ended up being i wanted it to be minimal plot that would set up these really cool fights between the monsters and we do get cool fights between the monsters but there's not nearly enough of them. They're way too short-lived when they do happen. And everything that it takes to get between those fights is just unintelligible. I mean, it's not to say there aren't really cool things happening in this movie, but it's just weighed down by so much crap. I I don't think I could give it any better than a 4 out of 10. <sighs> well, <laughs> it was it was something. <laughs> but, but, uh... We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll dive into some of our own 
hopes for future face-off movies. Hey, it's me, Chet, from Duel Fans. Over the last few years, sports betting has blown up in a major way, and we at Duel Fans have made losing money as simple as pressing a button on your phone. But now, we're going bigger. You've bet on Super Bowls, World Cups, and Grand Slams. But now, we're letting you bet on humanity's own extinction. Godzilla and Kong are going at it in the fight of the century. Bet on who will win, how long the fight will last, and we even have in-game betting on how many casualties will be lost. So sign up today and get in on the action before the Titans send us to an early grave. Godzilla vs. Kong has showed us that sometimes these big power trip movies where you put two titans up against each other don't always work out. I mean, there are some flops like Batman vs. Superman or Alien vs. Predator. But we're here to give you some of our ideas for some certified hits that pit two of the biggest names in Hollywood against each other. Jason, why don't you tell us about our first one? Well, mine's not really Hollywood per se, but I would say one of the biggest shows on television is MasterChef. And naturally, if you really want to draw people in, you got to do MasterChef Junior. Everyone loves the wholesomeness of the added children. And I was thinking maybe we'd turn that on its head with my idea, MasterChef Junior versus Master Chief. So basically... The beginning of it, it's it's a series, is kind of what I'm thinking. It, in the beginning, it's just a normal food competition show, where it's several children versus Master Chief. But after Master Chief gets inevitably voted off, he's going to want revenge on the remaining children. They're going to be tasked with surviving an onslaught from Master Chief, <laughs> one of the ultimate killing machines of video games. And the yeah. winner is whichever kid makes it the longest and is still able to prepare a dish at the end. Now, now keep in mind, this is a competition show through and through. This is not like a fake, they think they're on a competition show, but they just got to fight for their lives. There is still a winner. I mean, that winner is the only survivor too, but there is still a winner. Um, it's probably not going to last more than one season because of the you know, kid murder, <laughs> but like, you gotta think, there's just, there's a lot there. The entire concept of violent video games, and the entire comp, the entire idea of reality competition television, I mean, they really just go hand in hand so smoothly. I think, actually, the best way to do it, so you can have multiple seasons, is each season is a different game show that Master Chief is on, and he will lose every single time and then there will be a fight to the death and the last remaining member of that tv show would win so like season two can be like uh survivor except it's just master chief trying to actually survive without you know killing things with his guns then when he loses uh you know he has to fight all of them on the island 
and then the last one remaining wins. And season three could be like forged and fired. I want to make one addition to this actually. Um, you said that got that uh, Master Chief would inevitably lose. Um, there are some seasons where Master kill Chief kill and Survivor. He might win. If Master Chief wins, then it's just a normal competition thro- show throughout. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I do picture it slowly devolving into just like a completely unwatchable mess, and he is just on like <laughs> like Wheel of Fortune <laughs> and and gets one wrong. And he's and the host just like, oh, sorry, Master Chief. That's not. He looks back and Master Chief just has a sniper <laughs> rifle trained on him. <laughs> I'm sorry, Master Chief. There are no R's, and it seems like it's time to finish the fight. Master Chief, <laughs> you mind telling me what you're doing with that R? <laughs> yeah, this is an RPG. <laughs> got another one for you we've seen a lot of a lot of fights between two heroes or villains or monsters that tend to stay in the same genre or they're from similar movies but this next one takes two equally powerful forces from complete opposite ends of the world we're talking freddy prince jr versus jason statham now i know what you're thinking these two have nothing to do with each other but that's where you're right because it's just gonna get weird (laughs) so jason statham for those of you who don't know made a decision very early in his career which he is still often criticized for to this day He was in a music video where he had to dance in a way that you've never seen Jason Statham move before. And Freddie Prinze Jr. was smart enough to leave acting behind before it came to that. And yeah, he's acting again, but whatever. The way I see it, Freddie Prinze Jr., minding his own business doing his whole chef thing, maybe writing a book, whatever it is that Freddie Prince Jr. does. And he has a vision where Jason Statham goes back to his music video days and he pays the price and all of humanity pays the price. So Freddie Prince Jr. has to put a stop to Jason Statham's acting career as quickly as possible. But Jason Statham doesn't see it that way. This is self-preservation. And sometimes self-preservation is oiling yourself up and wearing a cheetah print Speedo and dancing in a low-budget music video. And he's just doing what he has to do. It's really the ultimate tale of survival, isn't it? I mean, Jason (laughs) Statham has no chance, or sorry, no choice but to be in this new music video. And Freddie Prinze Jr. knows that if he doesn't stop him, Jason Statham's not going to be the only one paying that price. Alright, so I have an idea. So, it's kind of kind of a split narrative movie. So, like, uh, Freddie Prinze Jr. has his vision that if Jason Statham is in this video, the world we're in. But Jason Statham has a vision 
where if he's not in this video, the world will end. I think the stakes should be significantly lower for Jason Statham. <laughs> yeah, he should just want to do this. I, I think that if we take the choice away from Jason Statham, that it makes him a weaker villain. Um, I think on some level, Jason Statham should know what he's getting into. That way, when Freddie Prince Jr. warns him, he doesn't say, oh, I won't be in the video then. He'll say, I know. <laughs> Wait, what if he also has the vision where if he's in this video, the world ends? But he just wants that to happen. <laughs> he's just so tired of being in Fast and Furious movies that he's he's taken the hard way out. <laughs> He sees the vision. He's making us all pay. And he says to himself, this world is finite. It's resources. Finite. <laughs> he knows what it's like to lose. To feel so desperately that he's right. You know, in hindsight, in hindsight, this movie might be uh, for no one. <laughs> I would watch it. I think that's twice. what makes it so good. I think not having a targeted audience is what makes it so good. <laughs> okay, so hear me out. Bob Ross versus Mr. Rogers. I know what you're thinking. Wholesome painter and your friendly neighbor. But not everything is what it seems. Bob Ross rolls into town one day with his pet squirrel. He shows up on Mr. Rogers' doorstep and says, Hey there. I'm your new neighbor. And Mr. Rogers, being the kind soul he is, is thrilled to have someone new in town. But after a couple of days, things go south. One of the puppets, dead. Laying in the middle of Mr. Rogers' own home. And the only one who had been inside that day, Bob Ross. It starts... As a murder mystery. Mr. Rogers knows Bob Ross did this. He just needs the proof. He goes digging further and further into his background, learning all of his dark secrets, of which there are basically none. But eventually, he confronts him. And when he does, it puts all the fight scenes in Godzilla vs. Kong to shame. These two men just absolutely destroying each other. <laughs> They both endure things the human body should never experience. <laughs> but the funny thing, the entire time the puppet died because of a severe nut allergy and the squirrel brought nuts into the home. But you never saw it coming until it was too late and the damage had been done. It's really just a question of how far... Will Mr. Rogers go to protect his neighborhood? <laughs> Bob Ross is a kind soul, and he would never hurt anyone. But he's been trained. And when he needs to clear his name, he'll do what it takes. I think I kind of imagine, like, a John Wick-style movie here. Except they're, they're both the John Wick people. They're, they're both, like, trained assassins. <laughs> yeah. Like the the um, friendly neighborhood, Mister Rogers and Painter Bob Ross. Those are just fronts. Like 
They 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 didn't choose those lives. They were assigned those lives. Keep their identity secret. Ah. Uh, I picture like a point in the movie where Mr. Rogers is pretty suspicious of Bob Ross, but he's still like trying to be a friendly neighbor. So he has him over and then like right as he leaves, he's like smiling and waving as he shuts the door. But right behind the door, there's like a lever. And when he pulls it, walls flip and it's just line after line of heavy weaponry. (laughs) You know, we complained about it. But I do think this movie should probably end with them teaming up together to fight a more evil power. Ooh, like what? Well, I'm thinking the only power that two pure souls like them could ever really take on and it be satisfying is a soul of pure evil. Uh, they they do fight Satan himself. Mm. Ooh, that's good. That's good. I think that's really going to appeal to a lot of people that wouldn't be on board with these characters normally. <laughs> well, hear me out. They have to go defeat Satan so they can get the soul of the puppet back. Okay, okay. I like it. The only way Bob Ross can clear his name is by helping to bring the puppet back so the puppet can tell everyone that Bob Ross was not responsible for his death. Hear me out. So, they bring back the puppet. Bob Ross is just like, we're so glad you're back. Now you can help me clear my name. And the puppet's just like, no, I know you brought those nuts into this house on purpose. You did this to me on purpose. And then it breaks into a huge another fight between Bob Ross and Mr. Rogers, and the movie ends mid-fight. Mm. So you never know who wins. Yeah, yeah. Now that is a fight I would watch. I, I don't know what to expect. That could also set up a good sequel, where at the beginning you find out that Bob Ross won the fight, and then the puppet has to get revenge. I mentioned that, you know, when they're going to fight Satan... They have to fight demons or whatever. Um, I don't think they should actually fight in those scenes. I think that they should just use their purity to, to defeat the enemies. But when they are fighting each other, it is incredibly violent. Yeah, just like obscene. Like, they, they do things to each other's bodies that human beings should not be able to survive. Hey, I'm going to ask you to never word something like that ever again. Um. <laughs> okay. Well, I think we've written three just knock it out of the park, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes, universally, critically acclaimed films. But now begs the bigger question. What else have you guys been into lately? Yeah, I've been playing a good bit of Animal Crossing. Never heard of it. I mean, it did, you know, make Switches sell out, like, at the beginning of April last year, so... Must be something. Um, yeah, it's just a real. It's a real fun game. Like, I don't think I've ever played a game that that's that's that relaxing. Um, other than like Wii Sports Resort. Um, but anyways, like you can pop balloons, you can catch fish, you can you can you can pull up weeds. That's revolutionary. You know, part of me wants to complain that you're describing the game in quite possibly the most boring way possible. But then other parts of me are just like, that is how the game goes. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, it's really the beauty of the yeah. simplicity of it all. 
I, yeah, that's what that's what makes it so good, so relaxing. Yeah, this was really insightful for the people out there that haven't <laughs> heard of Animal Crossing. Look, that's what I've been doing this week. What do you? What else do you want me to talk about, Jason? What do you got? Well, as I mentioned a little bit last week, the final cut of Disco Elysium finally came out, and I put a fair amount of time into that. Not as much as I'd like to, but I've been playing it most of the day today, as well as uh, quite a bit. You know, just over the week after work. And the new voice acting that they added in the most recent update is really good. (laughs) Really satisfying to listen to. Also really nice to get some pronunciations on a lot of those uh, French-based words. Ah, yeah. (laughs) Uh, You know, I I really like the world that they've kind of established in that game. I I learned something interesting about it. uh, That, like, the people that actually came up with the world... The main guy is like an author, and he actually wrote a book that takes place in the world that Disco Elysium takes place in, and it sold horribly. <laughs> ah, hmm. Well, that actually kind of makes sense, because it's a very bleak and upsetting world, but there's almost like, it's actually really beautiful how just harrowing and unsettling everything about it is. It's tough to look at sometimes because it's kind of gross and not especially aesthetically pleasing, but it's also very consistent, and it shows that there was just an absurd amount of detail that went into that world. I really hate that I haven't put more time into this game. I I tried playing it not long after it came out, and I kind of bounced off it just because I, I was kind of lost. I, I don't think I was really embracing all the different systems, and, and I absolutely plan to jump back in, especially with the new update. I, I think part of the reason it can be hard to get into is because there's there's a thick layer of satire over everything. I think it's a really good uh, kind of satire of a lot of the things that we see in daily life. Uh, the way it treats capitalism. <laughs> I mean, it's very much a pointed critique at capitalism. I mean, I'm fairly certain, if I recall correctly, at the Game Awards, when they were winning awards in, I think, 2019, pretty sure they thanked Karl Marx. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, it was Fun. wild. Um, the, the, the most important thing, though, is just, like, the writing is so good. I really like the new voice acting. If you gave it a try originally, you kind of bounced off of it because of all the reading. At the very least, you don't have to read quite as much anymore. <laughs> It'll be read for you. I, I think the guy that they have doing the voice acting is a, a jazz musician. So he's got one of those very smooth voices that you'd kind of expect from that kind of profession. A lot of the stuff I've been playing and watching lately is stuff that we do plan to talk about on future episodes. I've been playing a lot of both, but there has been one staple game that I go back to for at least a little while every day. That is Final Fantasy XII. Now, it's a PlayStation 2 game. Don't get me wrong, it it sometimes feels like a PlayStation 2 game. But the current-gen console port of the game is excellent. It adds a lot of really cool features. It revamps the progression system in a way that makes it a lot more engaging. And I just, I feel like Final Fantasy XII probably has the best battle system out of any RPG I can think of, honestly. It has this really unique system where it takes the premise of... MMOs, where you approach a target, you press a button, and they continuously attack the target until the target dies. 
But what's so smart about the game is you have this whole party and you can assign commands where that are basically serving as a priority list for a character. So you can have a healer whose priority is number one. If anyone drops below 50% HP, cast cure. Two, if there is no one that is below 50% HP, attack the same target as the player character. Number three, if the player character is not targeting a specific enemy, attack enemies that are weak to this spell or this spell. Like It has so much depth to it in a very approachable and digestible package, and that's something that I don't think any other RPGs really hit exactly right before, and it's just so good. It's it's also it's kind of tough because I've played through this game twice before already, so I really I know the story beats pretty well, um, and it clearly borrows a lot of the narrative from the original Star Wars movie, which is kind of weird. But yeah, like it's it's such a good game. I I can't recommend it enough, and it is on like every conceivable console now, so it's 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 a really good time to jump in. Yeah, it's worth mentioning though for it being based so much on Star Wars. That I, the internet wasn't as big of a thing when that game came out. A lot of people didn't make that connection. Yeah, I I bet that the writers <laughs> probably were still in that point where they thought like Star Wars was still kind of niche before the yeah. internet made it clear that yeah. like everybody in the world is a huge Star Wars fan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it's actually the first time through it was actually funny how similar it was to Star Wars. It didn't really didn't really bother me as much, but. Literally, like, the main cast is one-for-one one a character from the Star Wars series. And just to just to explain this in the beginning of the game, you have a chosen hero who does not know he is significant in any way, who is forced onto a journey with two lovable rogues, one of which is part animal, to save a princess who has been taken away by an evil empire. They have to go to a prison to do that. It's just, it's like... It's so much of it is just exactly the story of the original Star Wars. It's it's funny, um, but yeah, overall, Final Fantasy XII, excellent game. It it it's really like a lot more inviting than it looks like because that first shot of combat shows all these lines showing different characters targeting different things, and everyone's doing like some automated commands and some manual commands. It's it's really not that complicated at all. If you've tried it and didn't really get into it, I promise if you give it like an hour or two, it, it really it really gets its hooks in you. Well, I think that just about does it for episode four of the Totally Biased Media Podcast. If you like what you heard or have suggestions about how we can make the show better, we have a couple different ways you can reach us. And please, reach us. You can find us on Twitter at TBMCast on Instagram, at Totally Biased Media, and can send us an email to totallybiasedmedia at gmail.com. Send us your reviews or your suggestions for what to review, or even if you have ideas for something we can do, like a segment in the second half of the show, anything that you like or dislike or want to hear more of or want to hear less of or anything that you think could help the show, please send it our way. We'll be thrilled. We will get back to you if at all possible. And yeah, we just sincerely appreciate you taking the time to listen. I am Jordan Walkup. I'm Jason Simmons. And I'm Jackson Walkup. Thank you, everybody. Goodbye.
It's all right. <laughs>